Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I'm excited to rehearse the, uh, the gospel with you, the story of Jesus, his love for us. And it's because of his life, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, that you and I not only have a salvation, but we have this new identity, this new security that's not built upon our performance, but is built upon the performance of Jesus. And this is great news if you're a follower of Jesus or you're trying to figure out what, what Christianity is all about. It's not about a list of uh, do's and don'ts. It's not about what you do and what you don't do. In fact, Christianity is probably the only community that I know of that celebrates the fact that they're not the people they want to be. Like they're, 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 they see, they want to follow Jesus. They want to be like Jesus, but they're not there yet. So they're not celebrating that they are good, but they are celebrating that he is good. That it's about his grace and what he has done for us. And this should free us uh, from the, I, I guess, the, this identity that I, I need to be a good person. I need, to, you know, I need to make sure I do all these different things. Uh, he leads us to that. He is changing us. He's transforming us. But that transformation does not come when you build your life upon what you do, but when you build your life upon what he has done for you. And this is a theme in the Gospels, and we are going through the Gospel of Matthew. There are four authorized biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is Matthew. And uh, we're in this section where he's, he's helping us uh, know what it's like to follow Jesus. And, and previously, he, he was talking to us, hey, there are three things you can do to lead yourself in following me. Deny yourself and a few other things. And then starting last week, he's telling us now three things that we can do to lead others in following Jesus. So we have this responsibility, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I have this responsibility for myself, for my life, but I also know that I'm not just, it's not just about me and Jesus, it's about me and Jesus and this new family he's put me with. And so I have this responsibility to lead others as well. Um, so David talked to us last week about a sheep that's wandering and maybe they're tempted and maybe all oh, looks like they're straying here. They, they're being tempted to sin. This is about what do you do when you see someone that is in sin? And again, it's why it's really important to remember what we're building our, our lives on. We're building our lives on uh, the gospel. In fact, I love this kind of picture of, of in he, Hebrews paints in Hebrews chapter 10 verses um, 19 to 24. Um, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, um, the, our, our confidence, the reason why we're confident is because of the blood of Jesus. The reason why we can approach with assurance isn't because we've had a good week or a bad week. The reason why we can have assurance is because of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. Because his body was torn in two, we are brought near. We are, we are made whole. And then it says, let us draw, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with a 
pure water. Again, just talking about this is our confession. Our confession is what Jesus has done. Our confession isn't that we are good. Our confession is that he is good. And so, and then verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So you, you and I come in here, we sing songs about the gospel. You know, we preach messages about the gospel. We, we have emotions over the gospel. Let us unswervingly hold on to this hope. All right? This, for he is promised who's faithful. Again, just pointing it back. They're like, we're, we're not counting on our faithfulness. We're counting on his faithfulness. But we have a part to play. And this next verse is really the theme of today. And let us consider... Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. That you and I, we have this great confession in the gospel that Jesus has died. Uh, he was buried. He has risen on our behalf. We have this new life in him. Our confidence is in what he has done. Our confidence isn't in how good or bad we are. And you and I are going to swerve away from that. We have enemies to spiritual life. Ephesians 2 says it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil's trying to get you off course. Your own flesh doesn't want to do what the spirit wants to do. And then the world systems, the world's way of doing things wants to. So you have all these enemies. So we're going to swerve and you need people in your life to bring you back to the gospel. You're going to need to lead yourself but if you're only counting on yourself, you're probably missing out on about 90% of how God would have you to live. So what I'm going to talk about today, um, the foundation of what I'm saying is that you, you, it only going to make sense if you believe the gospel. That is, that you believe and trust in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. I don't mean... That I don't, I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about your trusting in what Jesus has done. So this, this will only make sense if, you're, if, that's, if, you, if you got that settled. The second thing that you need is that this will only make sense if you have Christian brothers and sisters that are like family to you. If you don't have this, this is going to scare the daylights out of you. But let me just be so clear. We're not talking about calling people out. We're talking about calling people in. We're not calling people out. We're calling people in. And this may be one of the most helpful things uh, in your life that will help you follow Jesus. So what are we talking about here? Well, he starts off in verse 15. So he's, he's, he's in the middle, again, three messages on how we how you can help others follow Jesus. And he starts in here, verse, in the second part, he says, if your brother sins against you, brother or sister. So one of the things I want to, want to make really, really clear is we're talking about relationships within the covenant community of Jesus. We're not talking about just people out there. There's a, in first, there's a few verses that talk, there's a few parts of the Bible that talk about this. First Corinthians 5 is one of them. Paul is addressing some sin in that church. And he says, he says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Uh, it's a rhetorical question, which is yes. God judges those outside. 
So God's responsibility is to judge those outside the community of faith. But it's our responsibility um, to judge and to help those inside the church. Matthew 7, 5, this is the whole yank the plank, you know, don't go after a speck in someone's eye until you remove the plank in your eye. And it says, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Not some random person. Hey, that, you, you know, it's your brother's eye. Galatians 6, 1, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Brothers, who's he talking to? He's talking to brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, not caught, ha ha, gotcha, but caught like a, like trap. Why am I holding my leg? Because it's trapped in a, uh, like if you see an animal trapped, they're ensnared by something. They don't want to, they don't want to be trapped, but either the world, the flesh, the devil, something has got them ensnared. They're caught. Those your brothers and sisters should be helping you. If they're caught, restore them, bring them back. We often get this backwards. We, we rail at the world, but we give each other a pass. I think one of the things that the church at large gets so wrong is that they don't apply this passage at all in their relationships. And it's hurting um, it's hurting our witness, and it's, it's hurting each other. There's a, there's a, there's a loss of, of love in that, that I hope that we can either regain or, or would not be true of us. Judging the world is not our job. Jesus said, John 3, 16, forgot to love the world, you know, that big, next verse, verse 17, for even the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. So his, his role when he's walking on, when he walked this earth, so we want to be like him, when he's walking this earth, I've, I've not come to, to judge it, I've not come to condemn it, I've come to save it. Now, as he's ascended into heaven now, and he, and he will judge on that day, but we don't judge, we don't judge the world. The only thing we say to the world is, we, have you heard about Jesus? When you see the world, you don't be like, ah, oh, these, these people. No, no, no. There's oh, man, I want them to know Jesus. But to each other, out of love, we speak to each other. So if your brother sins, if your brother sins go and tell him his fault. And I just underline that word go because I want you to know that this is not optional. Like, this is a command. This is how Jesus is saying that if you want to love each other, if you're, if you're, if you're really serious about following me and, and you really love and care about one another, you're going to, when you, when you see someone say, you're going to go to that person. You're going to go. It, love is not neutral. It, it at times is confrontive. Romans 12, 9. This is a, a passage on what does Christian love? What does authentic, genuine Christian love look like? Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Well, how do I do that? Well, you abhor what is evil, you cling to what is good. Let me tell you where the hypocrisy starts for the Christian. It's not when you say, I am an honest person, but you really lie. It's not when you say, I'm a pure person, but you're really filled with lust. Where the hypocrisy starts is when you subtly begin to believe the lie that your acceptance is dependent upon your performance. So you believe that in order for me to be accepted, I have to perform, I have to do good things and not do bad things. 
And then what we do is we lay that on one another. We lay that frame on one another. And you begin to say, well, I cannot say that to someone because I'll hurt them. Because they're bu- they've built their life on their good, and now I have to be, be the person that tells them that they're bad. And if I do that, I'll hurt them. Um, but let me do it. So if, if you were to come to me and you were to say, Brian, you are a terrible gardener. I'd be like, okay, so? Because um, I am a terrible gardener, and I've got a lot of proof of that. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to be a good gardener. So because I'm not trying to be a good gardener, I don't care if you tell me I'm a bad gardener. Now, if you tell me I'm a bad golfer, I'll be like, yeah, you're right. And then I would do everything I can to beat you. Um, prove you wrong. Not beat you, but like beat you. And... Uh, or here's one. If you told me, Brian, you, you are a terrible public speaker. Well, that would, that would hurt. It would sting. You know what? Because, it, okay, I'll confess it. At some level, I get caught up in thinking that my life is built upon my performance. And you are picking at something that I am trying to be. So let's... So when you go to someone and you say to them, hey, the scriptures say this, but you're playing this way, and they get hurt, here's why they get hurt. They get hurt because at some level, they're beginning to build their life on their performance. So if you tell me I'm a bad gardener, I don't care because I'm not building my life upon being a... But if you begin to build your life on your morality... It's going to hurt someone. It's going to sting a little bit. But if we have, if we're like, hey, the, our, our deal here is we want to build our life on the gospel, it will sting a little bit, but you'll get over it. It's kind of like when you, have you ever tried to help an, a wounded animal? Um, they bite. They, they think you're trying to hurt them, but you're trying to help them. And your brothers and sisters, because they've been caught They've been ensnared in a lie, which is I am not justified because of what Jesus has done. I am justified based upon my performance. And if I let someone know that I'm doing something wrong, I'm not going to be accepted. So I'm going to run and hide. And then when you notice that, because you're close and you love them and you begin to say it, it's going to hurt a little bit. So we have to, we have to love enough to say, I'm going to help you out of this. And, and we do this with our kids. Like, you don't let your two-year-old play in the street and hope everything works out okay. You don't let them chew on the Drano bottle and say, well, you know, that's their life. They got to, you know, they got to make their own choices. No, you, you help them. Are they going to get mad at you? Of course they are. Because they've been ensnared. And so is your brother or sister in Christ. But when you can pull them together and say, hey, let's go get caught. Let's chat. Let's talk. You know that I love you. You know that I care about you. I want to I show you some things. I want to help you. And you got, and this is why it's so important. Can you see it? Why you have to have family-like relationships in the church? That's why we, we're, we're very simple. We do, we do Sunday mornings. We have these big prayer gatherings for, uh, quarterly. And we do community group. Because you need lots and lots of time to build relationships. Because relationships take 
lots and lots and lots of time. They're not very efficient, not very practical. But you need them. Because what happens is we go one of two ways. One is we go super insecure and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm terrible. I'm such a loser. I can never get it right. Or you get kind of prideful and you want to, oh, I'm, I'm surprised you can notice that speck in my eye, that big log coming out of your head. Like, <laughs> so we will try to discredit them. But you're not a loser and you're not above reproach. But you are saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus. And we're not there yet. And we won't be there until the other side of heaven. But on this side, we have an advocate that when we sin, he is faithful and just to purify us from all, all unrighteousness. And I'm not building my life on my performance. I'm building my life upon the performance of Jesus. And so when you see me build my life upon my own performance... I'm, you come and talk to me. I want, to, I, want, I want you to do that in my life. So three options when you wander. One is you just slip out the back door because you have a high need to be affirmed. One of the things I know about every human being, you have a high need to be affirmed. And when you're living contrary to what the group is living for, that's a hard place to be. So you'll slip out the back door because... The way that you really are isn't going to be affirmed. But we want to be a place where it's okay not to be okay to say, hey, I'm struggling here. Because our, again, our, what we want to affirm you in isn't that you're an amazing person or a bad person, but the fact that you are saved and added into by the grace and mercy of Jesus. So one, you'll slip out the back door. Or the, or the second thing, which I don't know which one's worse, is you'll pretend. You'll put on a mask. In fact, that's, that word means hypocrisy. is a theater word that means to put on the mask. And so we'll, you'll learn the externals of a changed life. You'll play those externals in this environment or in your group or anytime you're in a Christian setting. And you can only take so much of that. And then you'll go into your other environment and be a different person. You'll pretend. And then, but the third option, which is the biblical option, is just, you'll do this. You'll deputize two or three people in your life to say, when you see me stray, Come chase me. When you see me stray, not if you see me stray, but when you see me stray, come chase me. I don't know if you remember 11th grade English, but in the book, uh, The Odyssey, um, Odysseus, the captain of the ship, there's this island, the island of sirens that had these beautiful women that sung amazing. And the problem is that this island, though, is surrounded by rocks. And so every time these women would sing, Odysseus would want to drive to the island, and, but there's rocks. So if he did that, he would destroy the boat and destroy his life. And so what he did is he got his, his shipmates to tie him to the mast. Say, hey, when I go by there, don't let me out of here. Just, just keep going, chart this course, you know, blindfold me, whatever. But they go by the island and he's just like, I'm kidding, let me out of here. I wanna go to the island. And they didn't let him go and they passed the island and they were saved. And the application for you and I is, is that unless you have someone that you're willing to let them tie you to the mast, you will run your life into the rocks. And you need someone that you have deputized to say, will you help me? You're, you're going to be ensnared. The enemy is walking around 
seeking to devour. The world system is not, is not a great environment for spiritual vitality. Your flesh doesn't want you. You're outnumbered. You need help. Three options when you see someone wander. One is, here's something maybe you haven't thought of. You could carry disdain in your heart for them. I'm glad I'm not them. You know, I'm maybe even in this message, like, well, yeah, I, I've got people in my life that do this for me. I'm glad I'm not like that person. You, you don't go to them. You just, but if you don't go to them, instead of having love for them, you'll actually have disdain for them and you'll, you'll be prideful. Second thing that can happen is you can join in with them. That you, because you don't confront the sin, you, your brain wants to affirm what your heart wants. And your brain will just talk yourself into to joining in with them. But then the third thing is, is that you, out with love, gentleness, and all kinds of humility, you go to seek to restore them, to restore them. That word restore, too, in the Greek means like uh, set, resetting a bone. Like the bone is broken, you want to reset it, you want to restore it, you want to bring it back. And we need this so much. You probably heard this verse, or maybe not even the verse, just the words, you know, speaking the truth in love. It comes from a passage in Ephesians 4 that, again, talks about a responsibility to each other, that God gives gifts to the church and, and, and the, you know, like pastor types that equip and help the church know their responsibility. And then it says this, it says, to prevent you from being... Uh, tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine, from every scheme. Like there's things that come at you. There's, you have enemies of spiritual life to keep you moving forward in the right path. The answer to that is a community of people who are speaking truth and love to one another. The antidote to bad doctrine is great relationships centered around the gospel that love you, that speak truth in love. It can't be true if it's not loving, and it can't be loving without truth. You need those things to come together. And Jesus was the full embodiment. So a spirit-filled community, a community that's filled with the spirit of Jesus is going to bring love and truth into your life. And you need this so, so badly. We all do. So. So it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the plan A is to go to the, and privately, one-on-one, a couple of reasons for that. One is because you're not, again, you're not wanting to call him out. You want to call him in. You're wanting, you're wanting to minimize any sort of embarrassment. You know, it's just like you don't yell, at, hey, you know, you've got broccoli in your teeth. Like you want to, hey, come here, Shh, let me tell you something. So one reason is this, the other reason is you could be wrong. It's the other reason to go and pray. You could be wrong. Meaning like you have a perspective and you go say, because you're not, you're not, you, you go to them and say, hey, I, I'm seeing something here. It doesn't seem to line up. Is this true? And they explain something to you. And like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't see that. You could be wrong. Which tells me, which tells me you and I need to be freed up to do this way more often. Like often enough to know that you could be wrong. And that's Okay. You don't have to be suspicious. Why are they on my case? No, it's normal. This is normal, spirit-filled, loving, gospel-centered community does this regularly. If we say that we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. Anybody want that? Want to say that? 
But if we confess our sin, he, he's faithful. And, hey, we have, there's nothing to hide from. We're not building our life on, whether or not, on our performance. Remember? We're building our life on his performance. Plan A. You go to him. Now, check this out. If he listens, you have gained a brother. 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 Why am I saying that word over and over again? Because most of us are afraid to go to them because we think we're going to lose them. And Jesus is saying, you've already lost them. You need to gain them. You tracking with that? If they are caught in sin, if you let them stay in that snare, you've lost them. That is losing them. Gaining them is you go and get them out of that snare. That's plan A. Plan B is if they won't listen to that, um, we widen the circle. You go and get, hey, you know, like you go and you dress something. They're like, hey, I just, no, nah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not hearing that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not changing. You go and get a couple others, probably your community group leader, somebody like that. And the same thing to pursue, you pursue, you pursue, you pursue. Hey, I tried to get them out of this snare, but they wouldn't listen. I need help getting them out of this snare. Martin Luther said, run to them, reach out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words, embrace him with motherly arms. Just a desire to come and love this person. Not calling them out, calling them in. But they won't listen to two or three others then take it to the church. Now, what this literally means is to, to say, hey, you have a responsibility to say to the whole church, I've addressed this with this brother. I took so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and we addressed it and they're not listening. Now I'm telling all of you that this is a situation. Now, practically in this church, what we've done just because of the multiple services and all kinds of stuff is that I think it's fair to, we, we say, go to the representative leadership, which is the elders. And so in other words, when you do this, and I hope that you do this, I hope, I hope that you would engage this process as, a, as, a, as an expression of your love for others. Say, hey, I'm worried. I tried to get them out of this trap. I got others to help me and I can't, it's not working. So you bring it to the church. What happens if they won't even listen to the church? What well, says to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector? Now, a Jewish audience would have heard, have nothing to do with them. That's what that means. So have nothing to do with them. So what that means is that, that they're not a part of the fellowship, so they're not a part of the covenant community anymore. And... The church is meant to agree on this, meaning that we all step away from relationship. It doesn't mean that we're not kind to them. It doesn't mean that we don't. But our, our message to them is that you are in trouble and you need to repent. And this, this is where... this Two things I want to say about this. Number one, this is why... You and I need to go privately, one-on-one, -on -one, to that person way more often than we do. 
because we never wanted to get to this place. And tragically, one of the things that I've seen is like, I'll hear about something and I'm like, well, who's, to- who's talked to this person about this? And no one has. And it is a tragedy that no one would love enough to speak this to this person. But now we're at this place where we're called to do this. And it's a tough situation. There's two, there's two times where we're really tempted, really tempted to take matters in our own hands and, and not trust God when it comes to relationships within the community. One of them is gonna, we're gonna talk about next week is when someone hurts us and we want revenge. We take matters in our own hands. I'm gonna go, they hurt me, I'm gonna hold a grudge which you, you, you may be Christian, en- Christian enough to not physically hurt them, but you just hope someone else does. That's what a grudge is. Um, so one is to forgive. We're tempted to take matters in our own hands when someone hurts us. We're also tempted to take matters in our own hands when we have to be the, the bearer of, of, of being clear about what the gospel is and isn't as well as what love really is and what love really isn't. We're tempted not to trust God. Because we think, well, I don't want to judge. I'm not going to judge my, who am I to judge my brother or my sister? Well, your other option is to judge God. I would take my chances with the brother or sister. Because this is what God says to do. You see, well, you and I will do what Absalom, you mean, Absalom was one of the sons of David. And he was, he was sneaky. He would stand outside the court and people would walk by and he would hear their offense. And he would say, you know, man, you know, it's the king. It's, you know, what are you going to do? It's the king. What are you going to do? It's the king. But, you know, if I were king, I would do it differently. We can Absalom God. We can stand outside the court. We can hear people's offense. And we could, in our I'll say foolishness, think that we are more gracious than God, that we are more wise than God, that we are more understanding than God. So sometimes, I'll say it this way, sometimes I, we, get the, we get the parable of the lost sheep and the lost son confused. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the prodigal confused. In the parable of the lost sheep, we're meant to go to them. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father stays. When sheep wander away, we go after them. When sheep decide to run away, we let them go. And, and the, the tragedy of it all is that what's, what's going to win them back is not you. That's why the father didn't go after him. What's going to win them back is a couple nights with the pigs. When you see someone wander, I think you're playing it wrong. You go to them privately. You go after them. But there's a point where they've made a clear decision. They didn't listen to this person. They didn't listen to, the, they didn't listen to these two or three. They didn't even listen to the elders of the church and the entire community. And so what we do is we all agree and say, this is tragically where it's at. 
the fathers, here's, yeah, they they go, they, they go. We pray for them. And God has a way of bringing them back. And let me just say that I, I've, I've seen this happen in beautiful, wonderful ways. Um, where people are like, man, I miss my friends. I miss the community. I don't feel, I don't feel right in my spirit. I, I, I now see it. I now, because it's not just you. It's you and you and you and you and you. You're all saying that I'm wrong here. Okay, I get it. What's not helpful is when two or three say, hey, you're doing it wrong here. And other people say, oh, you're okay. That doesn't help doesn't help the person. So we all agree on this together. It's our responsibility. And God, in his grace, uses situations that only he knows to bring them back. And we trust God with that. Um... How can we apply this? Well, first of all, is that you need to be in covenant relationship. Like, you need to, be, you need to give yourself to a community. And if, if you're here and you're like, I don't know that I could do that here, I'm saying you need to do that somewhere. You need to give yourself to other people. And listen, I know, I, I know that you may have experienced this in a negative way, and if you've been hurt over situations like this, these, the leaders in this church would love, love, love to talk to you and, and hear your story and help you through that. But there's no, that we, we need to depend on each other. We, are, we cannot do this alone. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Lone Rangers are dead Rangers. We need each other. We, there's no other way through. You need to find a covenant community. Secondly, you need to invest in those relationships. It's going to take time. It's going to be painful. We rub up against each other. Again, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about, I don't like the way you do things. We're talking about, hey, I see that you're not, you're not, your life isn't lining up with the gospel. You're not lining up with what God has to say. So we need relationships to do this. Ecclesiastes 4 Nine says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has not another to lift him up. We need each other. You're going to fall. You need someone to be, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pick you up. I want to love you through this. I want to love you through this. And then secondly, then we need to be in places where it's, it is okay not to be okay, where we can... We can go beneath the line of shame and we can confess our sins to one another, that we can take the plank out of our eye, that we can, like, hey, this is where I'm at, where we can confess one to another. And we're okay, be, we're okay with other people saying, hey, I think you're off a few degrees. And we're, we have the courage and the love to say this to others. And this is what the world needs. The world is broken looking for an answer. And our answer to the world isn't, come be like us. We figured it out. We're good little boys and girls. Our message to the world is, hey, there's room at this cross. There's room. He has died for our sins. We are not trusting in ourselves. We are trusting in what he has done on our behalf. And part of the proof of that is like, hey, we, here's, where we're, here's our faults. Here's where we're wrong. Here's where we need to do better. And we help each other with this based upon the grace and mercy in Jesus, based upon the gospel.
and it protects our witness. If, I, if we were to do Family Feud here and uh, survey 100 people and ask 100 non-Christians, what's the one word that comes to your mind when you think of a Christian? My guess, the number one answer on the board would be hypocrite. 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 So what's at stake is our brother and our sister and their walk with Christ. The other thing's at stake is our witness. We don't, we don't have anything to say because all we preach about is our morality. When in reality, that's not what we preach. We preach the resurrected hope of Jesus. And the way that the reason why this is so important that we, we are a community this way, where we love each other enough, is because we say that our lives are built on him. We're not, yeah, we, we do make mistakes. We are wrong. We're not loving. We're not as gracious. We're, we, you know, we're quick to anger. We're not, that's not our message, is that we're less angry. Our message isn't that we're better. Our message is Jesus saves us, that Jesus filled the gap, that Jesus lives in us. You know, he is moving us from one degree of glory. I do believe that he transforms us, but the transforming power is not that we stand upon that we're good, little boys and girls. The transforming power, the power of God is the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. Of God, and we need that. And so, when we let go of that, when we don't do this, we let go of the gospel. When we let go of the gospel, we let go of what actually transforms lives. Transforms. We we miss out on transformation with one another, and we have nothing to offer the world. You glad you came? Yes. I want to go to the happy church. Um, when we stand. Jesus had to leave heaven and earth and die a horrible death on a cross because you and I are incapable of saving ourselves. One of my prayers from myself and my family and the church at large is that we be freed. We be freed from this compulsion to stand on our own sense of righteousness. There's so many things that just go downward when we do that. One of the ways that we protect one another, one of the ways that we love each other is that we go to them. We go to them. And we say, we bring them back to the gospel. The fact that they would get a little upset with you is not a reason to back off. It's actually a reason to dive in. It's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to pick up your cross. You need to die to yourself. There will be, there will be relational shrapnel in your back. There'll be situations to where you help someone in a trap, that little animal is going to bite you. 
Do you love enough to take the bite to save them? It's a call to love. It's not a call. It's not a call to mount up the legalistic police on their horses and run around the church pointing out faults. It's not what this is. It's not a call. It's not calling out. It's calling in. It's a call to love. When you think about your own kids and they're in the middle of traffic, you don't think to yourself, well, if I run out there, I might get killed. You run and you risk it because you love. That's what we do for each other. We risk what happens to us so that we can save Merciful, humble, gentle, yes, yes, yes. But we go. We go. And it's that sending spirit of Jesus that will enable you to go. It's not something we can do in our own strength. You, need, you, you and I need to rely on the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus that left heaven and earth to come get us. We need, that. we need to live by that spirit. I, I want to pray that way as we close. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy in our life that you, you did for us what we can never do for ourselves. And I just thank you for the tools in the gospel that you've given us each other. Before you left this earth, you, you, you said that we're going to need to rely on your word. We're going to need to be filled with your spirit. And we're going to need each other. That greater love has no man than a man who lays down his life for his friends. God, I pray for a revival of love in this community. God, that we would love enough. That we would deny ourselves and treat each other as brother, the brothers and sisters you've called us to be. God, I know I need it. I need it in my life. I thank you for the brothers and sisters in my life that have spoken truth, that have saved my life from running into the rocks. Thank you for that grace and mercy. God, we, would, would you fill us with all boldness as we seek to love each other? Amen. Amen.